Welcome to Theatrically Speaking, basically a playwriting podcast. My name is Jonah Knight. Theatrically Speaking is a part of the Actual Story Podcasting Network. Learn more about this show and others over at actualstorypodcasting.com. This week, we talk about how the playwright can influence how an actor moves. Catherine Stroller talks with me about the kinds of clues and hints that movement coaches, actors, and directors look for in a script, and about how playwrights can craft that language subtly and effectively. Links are in the show notes. Hi, I'm Catherine Stroller. I'm an actor, writer, and movement coach in the greater Sacramento area. Uh, I have my BA in dramatic art from UCD and just kind of stuck around. It's been about a decade since I graduated. I've uh, been heavily involved with the community here in Sacramento from stage to film um, to some voiceover, all the things. Um, probably notably a couple years ago, I played Laura Wingfield in The Glass Menagerie at STC. Uh, as far as film, uh, did Finn and Marco with uh, Jack Dever, who's uh, a big, big name in, in the film community here. And um, just since we're gonna be talking about movement today, I'll say what I specifically do as a movement coach is I, I work with actors to help them learn tools or building blocks, if you will, so they can create their characters physically from the ground up so that each character is physically different from another, uh, let alone themselves, however subtle that may be. And thank you for coming today. I'm really thank looking forward for to this conversation. Me. Yeah, I am as well. So I first, uh, we've, I guess, met or I've, I've heard you talk once before um, uh, <laughs> when you came to the Artist Collective's Writer Room here in Sacramento and did yeah. a, a talk over Zoom. Wonderful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the thing that really struck me about that conversation is as a as primarily a writer, director and someone who's never really had acting classes, I had always sort of thought about movement as not my job, <laughs> as something that <laughs> the actors are going to deal with. The directors are going to bring in somebody special when they have a special movement case or something like mm -hmm. that. But as a writer, right. well, you know, he has a limp is about like the extent of what I would do. <laughs> but listening to you talk really made me think about this in a very different way. So um, so I think we just start with you. How did you, I think, starting as an actor want to learn more and do more with movement in general? Yeah, so I was in uh, in an acting conservatory in college, uh, Foothill College, uh, Community College in Los Altos Hills area, Bay Area, and we had a movement class and I was kind of like, okay, I've, I've got a background in modern dance as a kid, so let's see what happens here, movement. Oh, do you mean dance? And no, my, the way that I approach movement now is it, it you don't have to be a dancer to do it uh, or anything like that. And what was so interesting is that it was focused on our own personal body awareness as an actor. And the story that I like to tell when I discovered how important it was is uh, our teacher had us, we all had monologues prepared, you know, act, acting conservatory. And we were, we were learning kind of a neutral mask, if you will, just learning to be still and stand and recite our monologue with the vocal quality and all the emotions, but without moving just to see where the impulses were in our body to move. And I went through my monologue and my mentor went, Hey, you know, you tilt your head slightly to the right, just naturally. I had no idea that was the thing. So what he did is he had another student stand behind me and hold my head up straight and had me recite my monologue again. I forgot all my lines, could not 
could not cope. And it was then that I realized that even just little shifts in our body really can create a difference in just how we live our lives. And I think that was something that was really monumental for me in looking into movement work specifically from a character perspective. You know, as an actor, a lot of the time it's, I just, I don't want to be myself for a little while is usually the reason when you hear people say, I want to be an actor. And a lot of people think more from a psychological perspective, but the body and mind are so connected that, you know, unless you're fully immersed in that character, if you're still physically being yourself, then you lo- you're potentially losing out on some of the fun. Um, and so to be able to build characters physically um, that are different, no matter how subtle it might be, um, that's, that's really when I kind of fell into this kind of work. Right. So, uh, so my thinking is that for our conversation today, since we're talking to mostly writers, mm. that maybe movement sort of falls into two different branches. Maybe there's the work that's done in a workshop or in a rehearsal after the play has been written. And then there's the work that the playwright does while they're developing the script and going into readings and and that kind of development. Does that, does it feel right to sort of divide it that way? Or do you even think of it that way? I mean, I think honestly, when it comes to writing, you know, speaking as a writer myself, I, you know, for me, it's interesting because I have such an actor slash writer brain. They've always kind of been one and the same that for me, I don't usually differentiate those things, but I very much understand that, you know, a, a playwright is working and doing all the writing and then kind of sending it off to kind of let the rest of the creative team take over. And I think that it, it works to separate it that way. And if people want to meld them together, then they can meld them together. Mm-hmm. So for a, for a playwright, maybe the, the conversation starts with um, just a quick definition about blocking and what mm. blocking is as compared to thinking about movement, because they're, they're connected, but they're not the same. They are. Uh, I, from, from my perspective, they go hand in hand. I, I see blocking as being more external and movement or character movement work as being more internal. So it's that idea of, all right, the blocking is, is I have to cross the stage at this line. And then you're thinking about from a psychological, more mind perspective. Okay. Well, why am I doing that? Am I trying to evade someone? Am I trying to get closer to someone? What, what's that instinct, um, the motivation, and then the character movement work is then how you do that, depending on what I like to call a character movement signature, kind of your basic, your baseline for your character, you know, do they walk quickly? Do they walk? Is it aggressively? Are they a direct in their movements? Are they more indirect? Those kinds of ideas kind of making the psychological profile physical. That's more of the character movement where then the blocking is the action you have to take and the movement work is how you get there. Right. So if we think of this as maybe we'll start with uh, a scenario where you've been brought into a rehearsal. Uh, mm. uh, so a director, uh, has contacted you because they value the idea of movement and they would <laughs> like you to come in and sort of talk about this, uh, or do some work with the cast. Mm-hmm. What kinds of clues do you look for in a text that inform the way you talk to actors about the way they move? So two things, primarily one is I'll look at you know, an individual character and what that character is indicating. Um, I, I like to, a default example for me is uh, from Dangerous Liaisons. Uh, I'm going to butcher this because I don't do French well. Uh, Mertoul uh, Maquis, 
uh, Gemma Chul. Um, Glenn Close played her in, in the film, and she has this beautiful monologue talking about how, you know, this is 1700s, you know, high aristocracy France, talking about coming into court and being a young woman and realizing what she could do and what she could not do. And she has this beautiful monologue where she's very still and talks about how she would force a fork into the back of her hand under the table when she'd be talking to people to work on detachment. And so it's moments like that for in playing her, I would take that and and run with it as far as her being more still, being more bound, being more in control of herself physically. Um, so that's a good indicator is what your character is saying about themselves. And then the other thing is how other characters are talking about that character that you're looking at. It could be within the dialogue of, you know, don't slouch. I wish they weren't so shy. Those kinds of things can be indicators too about physical movement. Um, and I think that's a great insight is looking to see, because we all, that's how we interact as humans is sometimes we then mirror what how others perceive us. And so that can be a great indicator too of how your character might move. Right. So is it about how much of your time is spent like in rehearsals working on movement as compared to doing like workshopping sort of private lessons is, you know, it, it depends. It's kind of a split. And, um, you know, a lot of the time when I'm brought in to work on a show is because there's a specific character they're wanting me to work with. Um, I did, uh, they brought me in for ugly lies, the bone when big idea theater did it a couple years ago. And uh, the playwright's name is escaping me at the moment, but, um, it's a beautifully complex play about a, a woman who has done three tours in Afghanistan and, uh, has third degree burns on a good percentage of her body. And it's about her doing kind of a virtual therapy, physical therapy, and so there's a lot of movement indicated in the script of where her skin is stretching, where it hurts to do certain movements. And so they brought me in to, to work with her specifically to just really dig into the script to figure out what was there and to do movement exercises with her to kind of discover that in the script, it talks about this burning sensation within her and getting it to spread. So a lot of visualization techniques as well. So that's usually more of when I tend to be brought in is when there's a specific character I need to drill and help them drill into. Um, and then, yeah, other times it's just, it's doing workshops and working with actors just so they can uh, gain an awareness of all these wonderful tools. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned some of this already, but um, um, when we sort of talk about the things that a playwright can do hmm. uh, to add maybe movement interest or maybe, I don't know, do we think about it as another dimension of a character by, make, by making specific mentions of potential movement choices? Do you think of it that way or... Yeah, I could think about it that way. I, I really think of it as an extension of the kind of the mental psychology of, of everything that, you know, speaking as a playwright myself, that's usually where I dive deep, right, is looking at the relationships and how this character is, how they're thinking, what makes them tick and all of that, and really using those as indicators uh, to figure out maybe how they could move physically and how others can interact with it. And, and for me, I, you know, writers can either be completely hands-on or completely hands-off in this department, right? And I think it really comes down to how each individual writer operates, um, or if it depends on a specific production, if they're, you know, doing a new work or they're actually workshopping it. Um, I'm not sure where I was going with all that, but yeah. um, it's it's definitely that that concept of 
being able to, to play around with it and just be, be aware that it's a tool. And, and I would recommend for me, and this may be my playwriting teacher talking, uh, to, to get it into the dialogue, um, to really focus on it being a part of the dialogue versus having it be stage directions. Right. Can you think of, um, uh, sometimes these feel like pop questions, but like, <laughs> can you think of a script that strikes you as very hands-off as far as movement, where the the author wrote a story, it wrote a totally fine play, but you look at it and you're like, there are almost no clues here at all about how characters move. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, Glass Menagerie is a little bit of a default for me just because I've, I've done Laura and she has a very specific movement quality about her. And Tennessee Williams, other than, you know, he, he mentions it in the character description that one leg is shorter than the other, but that's pretty much all we get. There's little indicators and a line or two here and there, maybe in the script uh, uttered by her mom. But other than that, it's left up to the production to figure out how they would like to interpret uh, that. And so that's, that's an example, I think of, of one really hands-off, um, hands-off play that I've seen. And so I guess the opposite of that is a, maybe a play where you can feel like the playwright was very concerned about specifics of movement. So like in your example of Glass Menagerie, you can see a version of that play that someone would write where it's filled with other characters talking about the way Laura moves, you know, mm-hmm. and like, and that's a different choice. Can you think of like a, a play that you, that comes to mind where those choices were made, where it was very clear what the movement intent was? Um, you know, there's quite a few, but the one that really sticks out to me the most is Ugly Lies the Bone, uh, because it is so heavily involved with the the script and the character interpretations and, you know, line by line by line when she's in these kind of virtual therapy sessions, um, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to lift my leg to this degree and I can't do it anymore. Or I tilt my head a little bit like this and okay, that burns. So that's probably the most hands-on I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that character is very much the, the movement of that character is very core to who that character is and the way, mm-hmm. the way it is on the page. Very much so. Yeah. I, I would say that's probably the most hands-on I've really come across and because the, the whole play is, is focused around it and her recovery and seeing her growth, both physically and mentally, uh, it ties in with all the other characters too. It's a beautiful play. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very movement heavy. <laughs> Yeah. And, and you mentioned before that the key to a lot of this maybe, or maybe not the key, but like one of the the heavy elements here is that it's in the dialogue that, Mm -hmm. that, uh, maybe if as a playwright, we want to really define the way a character is moving, we don't use stage direction. It's in the way it's in speech. Is that, is that true? Or do do you see the opposite as well? From from my experience, that's true. And as I said, this may be my playwriting teacher talking, who basically told us, get it in the stage directions. You will come across directors who will black out all stage directions as soon as they get the script, because oftentimes stage directions, it can be hard to tell what is the playwright's voice and what is the original production's voice, whether it be the stage manager taking notes or something like that, specifically when it comes to, you know, they said this tearfully or they said, you know, that it can be hard to decipher that. And um, so my, my playwriting teacher would said, you know, 
some directors will just black all of that out. So if you want something to happen, don't say, you know, Bill tries to leave the room. Instead, have someone else say, hey, where are you going? As an mm -hmm. example, that to, to get it in the dialogue makes it harder to potentially get rid of. But it's also an indicator. I know for me as an actor, when I look at a script, my eyes go directly to the lines. It doesn't go to things that are in parentheses. I usually then have to backtrack and force myself to look at the parentheses. Yeah. I So as an actor... I mean, we, we've all sort of, uh, my, my theory is that this, this, um, there, there is sort of an institutionalized reason why we should pay less attention to stage directions, but it maybe also goes back to Shakespeare because everybody mm. goes back to Shakespeare. It's like, <laughs> he did nothing. People enter, they exit, they get chased by a bear and that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Exit pursued by bear is definitely the best stage direction ever. That's not in the script. <laughs> it's not in the dialogue itself. Yeah. Can you think of, I know this is just way too many questions off the top of your head, but, uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. can you think of a play that effectively created movement only through stage directions or maybe a mm. moment where, uh, you know, is there an exception to this rule? Did somebody do this very well that they pointed to a character or maybe to a moment in the play and without it being in dialogue? they they conveyed this through parentheticals uh this is probably an extreme example uh but noises off when you mm -hmm. look at the play noises off on the page it's it's insane it's beautiful but it's insane and it's it's a choreography of of movement uh and it's a farce so it's it's less focused on character movement specifically but the timing of everything. And when you open the page, it's the pages themselves are split in half between the dialogue, what's happening and the, the action that needs to be going on. And that's all in parentheses. Yeah. So maybe farces can get away with it sometimes because you have yeah. to read. You have to be to, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, you know, there's, there can be exceptions to, you know, I wouldn't say that that's a, a rule. I would just say that it's, it's something to be mindful of when you're writing to know that, it can often better serve you to have it in the dialogue, but it's not a, a black and white be all end all situation. Mm. So then there's, there's maybe another philosophy and whether it's right or not, or how, how widespread it is that has to do with um, the playwright getting out of the way of everybody else's job. You know, this, this idea that the playwright should not also be the director, should not also be the sound designer, should not also be, you know, whatever. And maybe some playwrights have this idea that getting too detailed about a character's movement patterns is one of those things that's just not their job. They don't want to be, you know, accused of directing on the page or, or mm -hmm. telling the actors very specifically what they must do. What do you think about that balance between the authorial intent and then the realities of production? I think that's a great point to make because it, it is about balance. And I think each project is going to require a different percentage, right. Of, of kind of a, a dial, um, of what's more important versus, you know, finding that balance. Um, and I, I think in general, it's, you know, putting on a production is such a collaborative effort. And yes, the, the playwright usually once things get underway is, is not involved, especially if it's a play that was produced a handful of years ago and it's not the first time it's being put up. And, but I think it's still important to 
you know, I don't know, because when, once you get involved in a production, because often the playwright isn't physically there, I think oftentimes it's forgotten the work and time that's gone into it. And that they're really a part of the process and that this is for, for lack of a better way of saying it, this is their, their baby. Like they were the ones that envisioned it and put it on the page and it's then everyone else's job is to, to bring it to life. But I don't think that means you can't have those things in mind. You can't give a little bit of direction. You, you, you can't do a little bit of character movement work. I think it's, it's finding that balance to make sure that, you know, the actors don't feel trodden on that they can't do their job. And I think you're absolutely right in that it is about finding that balance, but I don't think that that should discourage playwrights from doing what they feel the project needs while it's in their hands. And I think that's an important piece to remember is to have the piece kind of serve itself and to try to not kind of censor yourself as a writer, as you're in that process, um, to just make sure that it's got everything that it needs. If it's a piece that needs a lot of movement, put it in there, you know, and the actor will probably be thankful for it and tweak it in a way that is what they need to do. Pick it up like a baton. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to give some hard, if you're going to write uh, like a top five list (laughs) uh, or (laughs) top three, or at least the number one thing that you wish playwrights would maybe have more confidence in when it comes to writing about movement. Do you have uh, a specific um, number one or number two or a few things that you would say, you can do this. I encourage you to do this. I sometimes see plays that don't do this thing. And I think if only they did this, it would be a little clearer. Mm. I would encourage to think about your characters physically. You know, it doesn't just have to be about their mind and you know again the body and mind are connected and things that we think about and mull over if you're writing a character who's anxious has a history of anxiety something they struggle with as an example that should be indicated in their physicality as well whatever that may be um you know fidgeting or you know having a little bit more shortness of breath or something like that from time to time and i would just say don't don't hold yourself back from getting that in there because it's an indicator to it's just another tool for the actor then to pick up and work with. Um, so that would, that would be the big thing for me is just don't, don't feel like you need to hold back, um, your, your work. Mm -hmm. And I guess the opposite of that is like, what is, what is maybe the wrong way to go about it? Have you seen maybe works in progress and he's like, Oh, I see what you're trying to do here, but maybe this is not the way to convey it. We've talked about parentheticals. Is there a... Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think specifically in looking at a new work or, or something that's getting on its feet for the first time, just to allow, you know, actors, once they're they're playing with it, to let them play and to know that this is a collaborative process. And even though as a writer, you were the one to kind of first envision these characters in this situation, in this world, that there, there needs to be the collaborative effort and to be able to play and learn and that someone in the creative team may come up with something and show you something that you hadn't even thought about yet. And that's, that's really a time, you know, making sure you're not being militant, uh, if you're in a situation like that, because I've, I've definitely come across that where it's no, you're, you're doing it wrong. And it's like, okay, I appreciate that this is, originally your piece you came up with it but we need to work together here because this is maybe an indicator that what you wrote isn't quite working once it gets up on its feet yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. There is a balance. There is a balance mm -hmm. between being clear about your vision and um, <laughs> maybe being too rigid about the vision. Yeah. Letting the piece be what it needs to be. And sometimes that it's not just our brain as a writer that, that can do that. Sometimes we need help <laughs> and feedback. So as we, as we get towards the end here, yeah. I have a, um, I guess maybe a, a philosophical question about this. Okay. So let's say um, you're, you've been brought in to work on something like a kitchen sink drama, something, some kind of a, a realistic thing. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at these, these family members sitting around uh, a dining room table or something. And maybe you've gone through the script and you've gone through the script and there's not a lot of overt clues in there. Mm. Do you think of it in a certain way? Or do you like, like what's the, as far as advice that you would give the writer of that, where, you know, my, my goal is to very much tell this intimate family story and I haven't really given any clues about, well, I don't know, maybe that's even the wrong way to think about it. Maybe I think <laughs> that I'm not giving clues, but really that's my expertise. My expertise as a writer sort of mm -hmm. ends there because then you hand it off to other people and they find the clues that I didn't realize I put in. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a really good point because, you know, as a writer, we get to the point where we can kind of channel some stuff and put it out there and, Oh, I actually wrote that. And okay, let's look at that relationship and not necessarily necessarily see the, the layers of it and then handing it off to the next step who is going to view it from a different lens is going to then sit down and, and, you know, pick it apart. And I mean that, and that's what I would do if I was brought in as a movement coach to work with, you know, some actors that are going to be doing that kitchen drama. And if there wasn't a whole lot of indicators from a movement perspective, that's when my actor hat goes on and go, okay, let's look at this psychologically. What are the relationships here? Is there tension? Are you more bound, if you will, are you more tense when you're around this other character versus a little bit more relaxed and carefree when you're around another? That's when I start to then build those things off of it is a lot of off of the psychological stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Does that answer your question? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is this balance uh, of yeah. what is your job as the writer and then mm -hmm. when do you get out of other people's ways and what are these gray areas where you can go a little bit further and maybe, and maybe pull back in other areas. It's. Yeah. But, it's a yeah. balance that bottom line, go with your instinct because every production you work on, every director or actor, everyone else you work with, it's, it's always going to be a little different. Yeah. This was fantastic. Uh, if people are interested in you, they want to know more about you and what you are up to, where should they go? The best place to get a hold of me is my website, which is katherinestroller.com. Um, you can email me through through that. I've got some classes coming up here in the near future. Uh, subscribe to my newsletter. That's the best way to, to be in touch with that or shoot me an email. Um, got blog posts that come out pretty much once a week about this kind of stuff and breaking down favorite characters of mine and performances. Um, so yeah, that's, um, you know, I am technically also on Instagram and Facebook, but to be honest, I don't check them as often as I probably should, but, uh, my, my website's definitely the easiest way to get in touch with me. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on and talking about this. Thank you for having me. This was absolutely delightful. Our theme song is Candy, licensed from the band Ketza, K-E-T-S-A, 
music.com. Additional information can be found in our show notes and over at actualstorypodcasting.com. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.